0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we're going to launch from the Nobel Prize in Chemistry and take a look at battery technology. We're going to first have a quick discussion about the Nobel Prizes in chemistry and then we're going to launch into some current research about ways to enhance our batteries, whether it be to make them more efficient using the current lithium-ion process or come up with a whole new method of using organic chemistry as a basis for batteries. This week we focus on battery science and technology. This week saw the awarding of the Nobel Prizes in Sweden in categories of science such as physics, chemistry and physiology and medicine. And there were some interesting things in the physics prize, for example. In the first time, we actually saw it sort of awarded for a theoretical rather than proven experimentally construct, which is a new thing for the prize. But what wasn't new was the return of the systematic problems in the awarding of the prizes themselves. And let's recover them briefly, though we've talked about this several times on the podcast. The first is that this prize tends to skew not only Western European, but also male. And this is a big issue for the prize because it means that many people are not being recognized for the work. Let's take, for example, one of the uh, more interesting ones, the discovery of the Higgs boson. Now, this is a pretty clear concept, and the Nobel Prize for this was awarded. But in that the discovery of the Higgs boson, it was awarded the person who came up with the concept of it. Rather than all of the thousands of scientists who over decades worked together to actually figure out a way to test the hypothesis, record it, and collect the data. These people who came up with the experimental concept and delivered the actual discovery weren't the ones who got the prize. It focused on a single individual. Now, good or bad, that's the way that the Nobel Prizes are structured. It means that we tend to focus on the lone genius rather than the team of collaborative scientists who've worked together to push the foundations of human understanding. That's one issue. The second issue is that it ignores people who've passed away and there are plenty of people who've done groundbreaking research or came up with an idea that wasn't been able to figure out how we could even test it to well after they've passed on and that means that well once they've been proven right the Nobel Prize is unable to award them a prize because they're deceased. There are plenty of people who fall into that category as well. The last issue is the gender bias in the Nobel Prize. Now last year we actually saw Some women win Nobel Prizes in certain categories. For example, Donna Strickland won a Nobel Prize in Physics, joining an elite group of only three women who've managed to be awarded a Nobel Prize in Physics. And Frances Arnold won one last year for Chemistry. But this year, it was all male, excluding the Peace Prize and Literature Prize. It was an all-male awarding. And that is a pretty poor state of affairs because there are plenty of women scientists doing groundbreaking achievements and work The problem is when you have to single out a lone genius the natural biases of the selectors tend to skew into it and once again we've seen the same thing happen key researchers decided to be key by the swedish prize awarding committee are ignoring the work of other contributors to this topic as well as ignoring topics which possibly would be worthy of awarding a nobel prize and like tends to select like which is why we end up seeing the same skew in the awarding of prizes And That's why this week we're not going to focus too much on the Nobel Prizes themselves, mostly because a, it's already been covered by plenty of other media, but also because there remain systemic problems with the prize that have yet to be addressed. The good work that we saw last year with the awarding of two women as part of larger teams for receiving prizes has been ignored and regressed this year, and hopefully this trend does not continue. But we're going to use the Nobel Prize in Chemistry as our launching point for this week's story. And we're going to focus on battery technology because battery technology is what the Nobel Prize in Chemistry was awarded to John Goodenough, M. Stanley Whittington, and Akira Yoshino. All of who contributed to the ability of researching, formalising, and making into a real tangible product, lithium-ion batteries. Something that we take for granted today. Now this prize awarding actually recognized three different clear contributions. To first come up with the idea of using lithium for a battery, then to try and figure out how to make anodes and cathodes, and then finally turning it into a commercially viable battery that provides enough power and is stable enough for regular use. And all of those scientists contributed in different times over decades to make that possible. Now, that is an example of how any of these areas of science, even if you look at a single discovery we take for granted, like a battery in your phone, it takes a lot of steps, a lot of researchers and many, many years to actually get to commercialised viable product. So what we're going to look at today is lots of different stories of current trends in battery technology to take us beyond lithium-ion batteries and where those next steps may be. Now the first thing we're going to talk about is the way a battery briefly works and just so you understand it a battery has two plates, two ends an anode and a cathode an anode is the side which has the negative electrons a cathode is a positively charged one together there's some mixture between it either a physical object or a chemical storage and this is that what transports the electrons from one side to the other more or less this is how batteries broadly work some kind of chemical reaction occurs transporting electrons from one side to the other side now the type of material used and the type of chemical reactions varies from battery to battery at the moment we use primarily lithium-ion batteries and they're pretty useful and effective that's why they just won a Nobel Prize But there's a problem, and that is that at the moment, our anodes and cathodes are made out of, generally, carbon or graphite layers. And these are good, but there's other opportunities out there, ways to improve the performance of batteries. And one idea is to replace the graphite in there with, instead of using carbon, use silicon. And there's several reasons why you'd want to do this. For example, silicon is far, far more abundant than graphene and it's relatively cheap and low cost to produce. Plus, we're already producing lots of silicon for the use of semiconductors and chips. So as the second most abundant material on the Earth and already being used in the supply chain, moving to it would be pretty good. It also has a significant energy capacity increase over graphite. It's about 10 times more than graphite, which is pretty incredible to think about. So we could get a lot more energy power out of it, but in a lot more storage capacity. But there's a challenge. And that's what researchers from the Argonne National Laboratory, which is part of the U- US Department of Energy's research institutes, they've been digging into this topic, including spending a lot of time trying to find a way to make silicon as an anode a more useful part of the battery. Even this would lead to the next generation of lithium-ion batteries. And that's what researchers, including Jack Forney and Barris Key, as well as a very, very large team of researchers. The citation list just alone for this paper includes Bing Hong Han, Chen Lao, Fulya Dogan, Stephen E. Trask, Saul Laputis, John Vorney, and Barris Key. And that's just the researchers that made it onto the paper, not necessarily everybody involved in a large scale National Laboratory. Nevertheless, coming back to the story at hand, one of the big problems with using silicon as an anode is that it's almost too reactive because the lit- silicon in the anode reacts with the lithium ion in the battery cell, uh, which is in the electrolyte, the part that the material between the anode and the cathode that transfers the electrons. And the problem is it's so reactive that it degrades the cell over time, which really rapidly decreases the cycle time of the battery. At the moment, the electrolytes used in lithium ion contain a solvent mixture. Which has a dissolved lithium salt and at least one often more three organic additives so these additives work together with the lithium salt to try and improve the transfer of electrons but the researchers from the Argonne laboratory developed a new strategy so they added a second salt the second lithium salt which contains several double or triply charged cations so basically these are different types of mixtures either magnesium two plus potassium 2+, zinc 2+, or aluminium 2+. And these electrolyte mixtures, which they've nicknamed MESA, which stands for mixed salt electrolytes for silicon anodes, actually helps stabilize the silicon anode. So instead of the silicon anode reacting too much with the lithium salt, it has these other mixtures in there to react with, which actually improves the stability of the battery, keeps it stable in bulk form, which means it has a better shelf life, or calendar life as the scientist calls it, plus, a better cycling performance, so that's a charge and recharge cycle. Now this is pretty exciting because this type of new salt electrolyte could be just mixed into the existing process, which means you don't need to re-engineer your battery factory, you just need to add another salt ion mix into the equation. And it means you could swap in and start using silicon anodes and electrodes much more quickly than you could previously. So this is some great work from the Department of Energy's Argonne lab and shows just how we can improve our current battery technology. But next we're going to look at a way to make our batteries more environmentally friendly. So the next piece of research comes from the American Chemical Society's fall national meeting and exposition. And at that conference, researchers, including Karen Woolley from Texas A&M University, who leads a lab together with Tan Nguyen, a PhD student working with her, investigating new ways to make more exciting forms of batteries that don't rely on heavy metals, but rather are organic in nature. So one of the big issues that we have with batteries currently is that they use a lot of complicated chemicals or as part of their process, we rely on some rare earth metals or heavy metals in the process. Mining and producing lithium to use in batteries, for example, is not necessarily the cleanest of affairs, let alone the recycling problem. It's actually really difficult to recycle a conventional lithium battery, mostly because it's very volatile and has a tendency to explode, which is one of the reasons why you can't bring your battery power banks with you in large volumes on planes. But it's also not easy to trigger it to recycle itself. In fact, you have to undertake a very time-consuming and expensive process to recycle a lithium battery. Which means that no one bothers to do it, of course, because it's cheaper just to produce a new one. But that means that these batteries end up in landfill, leaching out, which also is not great for the environment. Now, at the moment, there's no real safe way to dispose or recycle batteries. And that tends to be due to the nature of them, from a chemical composition perspective. But that's what these researchers from Texas A&M University have been digging into. Now, they work together with other researchers from the same laboratory, including Alexandra Danielle Easley, as in Jody Lucanis. And they all work together to try and put forward a new way of using organic batteries. And the basis for it is the same thing that builds up your muscles, proteins. Now proteins are an incredibly useful thing for building up muscle strength, but they may be also useful for building sustainable and organic batteries. The benefit of using organic material is of course, well now you have something that not only biodegrades which is useful, but it's also something where you can trigger a recycling process. Now organic chemistry is much more complicated because it involves often these intricate polymer networks. And the interesting part about it, as one of the researchers to states, is the beauty of polypeptides is we can control the chemistry on the side chains in 3D without actually changing the geometry or main part of the structure. Because they have this big lattice, you can actually fiddle around with it in multiple dimensions, and you can make these pretty interesting side effects, and that's what they're really exploring. And these organic structures also have different types of bonds between them. And this research is investigating in a way to use those bonds and these reactions to form part of the battery process. The other part about these bonds is you can actually trigger them to break down using the right signal or sequence. So the amide bonds, which are the part of the peptide backbone, are very stable. So you have the durability and the shelf life that is essential for battery applications. But at the same time, send the right signal, send the right protein signal along, and you can actually get them to dismantle themselves, which is great for recycling. That's not something that we can do right now with lithium ion batteries. The other advantage is, of course, you can have all types of strange structures and intricately woven things that we find in nature, which actually use to transport electrons incredibly efficiently. And you can tweak these existing structures to optimize the way in which the electron flow occurs which helps also boost the battery performance. So it's sort of relying on some naturally occurring processes and then enhancing them to suit our needs for electron transfer. So to do this, to actually build a battery using proteins, they actually had to construct the electrodes, the anode and the cathode, out of certain types of these polymer compounds. And the first of them was done using hytherviologen. And the other one was uh, Tempo, which is 2266 tetramethylpiperidine one oxal So this viologen and tempo were used to make the anodes and the cathodes. And that's a pretty exciting mix for those who understand organic chemistry, but for our purposes, it's important to know that the viologens and the tempos are both redox-active molecules. Come back a bit to basic chemistry, it means that when you put these things together with something to transfer the electron between it, you actually get A voltage energy potential difference and you get a transfer of electrons around 1.5 volts of energy is produced in this process which is actually not amazing for your battery in your phone which needs a higher voltage but actually for low energy applications such as biosensors this is perfect now we started out with lithium-ion batteries at a similar voltage range so it's certainly possible to boost the performance of it may win them a nobel prize because that's what was literally just awarded for lithium-ion batteries the way to boost one, the lithium-ion battery from 1.5 volts to 4 or 5 was one of the key steps in that process now in terms of these protein-based batteries we can actually use several different types of polymers we don't have to use one type and that's what Tanuin was actually looking at by using different polymers with different coils or shapes random coils, helixes, or betas, they're actually able to change the electrochemical characteristics. So by using these proteins, these peptides, you can now expand and build new types of batteries with new types of performance. We can still keep the viologen and the tempo as your main anode and cathode, but change the structure and tweak the electrolytes and peptides around it, and you can actually create a whole new class of organic batteries. Now this is incredibly early stage research. We are many many years away from seeing on a shelf a battery based on proteins but it shows the thinking that's required to change the way our current battery technology works we're using lithium which is incredibly reactive and quite useful for batteries and it took about 40 years for them to become ubiquitous from the first initial formulations but here we're seeing some initial formulations of proteins being used for batteries and hopefully we won't have to wait 40 years until we come up with a nice biodegradable and reconstructable battery using organic materials well, this is some great work out of Texas A&M University about potentially a way forward for battery technology involving protein this has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast Green Point. from adding some new lithium-ion salts into the mix to improve our current lithium-ion batteries or to find a way to make batteries using organic chemistry and protein peptides